Hello and welcome to The Advice Show. From advising clients to practice management, this podcast will bring you UK and global insights into the financial planning profession. My name is James Fitzgerald, reporter at New Model Advisor, and today I'm speaking to Alistair Walker, who is a PFS practitioner panel vice chair and an award-winning chartered financial planner at Hanford, Aikenhead and Walker. And we're going to talk about the recent saga between the CII and the PFS. Alistair, welcome to you and thanks for joining me. Thank you. Yeah, recent and ongoing, I think is probably fair to say. Yes, no, good point, good point. Now, when I say saga, I of course mean the CII's latest attempt to deregister the PFS as a legal entity, as well as the PFS members then forming action groups to vote against certain proposals at the Society's AGM last week. So since April, a lot has been happening and, as you said, still ongoing. Now, prior to late April, when we broke the story about former PFS CEO Keith Richards departing the PFS, reportedly due to deregistration and issues thereafter. And that indeed, the CII had tried to subsume the PFS twice before, in 2016 and 2019. Now, few outside the inner sanctum of the PFS and CII boards actually knew this had occurred and indeed was happening in early this year. So... When PFS members did find out, you know, they obviously weren't happy. So, Alistair, as a senior PFS member who has been against deregistration, did you know about the previous and recent attempts by the CII to deregister the PFS? And more importantly, why are you against the move? Um, yeah, it's a great question. I think the... Um, to answer the first bit, was I aware... Vaguely. <laughs> um, I have... Um, friends who have been past and current board members at the PFS. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't considered the implications particularly previously. It had been one of those ideas, I think, which is almost described as having been floated and discussed and then, you know, well, actually there aren't great reasons for this thing, so why would we? Mm. Um, I think it's probably... There are, there are a few can there are a few moving parts to it right but the uh the fundamental challenge is is what is deregistration mm. why is it an issue um i think people are up in arms about it probably because um it's, it sounds like a really terrible thing Mm-mm. right it doesn't yeah. sound positive at all for pfs no. members and for deregistration, for you know, purposes of what, um, as, as far as we can tell anyway, so you know, the PFS is a standalone legal entity by guarantee, which essentially means it has control over its you know, members, finances, general operations, has its own board. But if the CII deregisters the PFS, you know, this would no longer be the case and the CII would subsume a society and effectively you know, take control of its operations and finances. Now, the CII hasn't been terribly uh, transparent as you, as you mentioned about what deregistration would mean. Um, essentially, do we know anything more now about what it would mean, despite, you know, even with the CII coming out and with their press releases and replying to media inquiries and even talking to PFS members, have they been open about it? I haven't felt that there's been transparency uh, at all. I should mention, by the way, that I speak entirely personally here. You know, yep. disclaimer. Please don't sue me, um, but I, but I but I speak personally, and and that's important because I do sit on a volunteer panel with the PFS, mm. and I've given cumulatively over the last decade thousands of hours of my time, voluntarily for free to the PFS, and so I speak with some passion about it, 
uh, because I'm one of many of those volunteers who feel that there is a, a lack of transparency, um, that the supposed benefits of uh, a deregistration haven't been at all laid out. Um, I was invited to a conference call uh, with the current CEO of the CII, um, and I felt that that was an opportunity to explain the reasoning, to explain the, the thinking behind it, what the benefits were, why it would be something that any PFS member or board member would vote for. Mm. Because ultimately, as I understand it, and I'm not a constitutional expert, but as I understand it, the constitution pretty much requires it to be a vote of either the PFS board or the PFS membership as a whole um, in a general meeting. Um, perhaps both. So, mm. so it was a job to persuade the uh, people on that call who were all volunteers, who'd all given thousands of their hours for free over the years, um, that it was a that it was a positive move for them, and and there was there was nothing in that discussion that gave us that um, confidence. Was there any you know, concrete information about why they were trying to do it, or uh, you know any benefits whatsoever that um, the CEO Sean Fisher would put across? The message was, and this is the message that has since been put out publicly, mm. um, was that it was for governance reasons. Uh, and for cost savings. Those were the two areas identified uh, with no further detail given on either. Yes, I, I do believe, I remember when um, we first covered this in April, their, their main reason was tax savings. Yeah, uh, and I think it's, um, I think it's, it's an interesting time to, to, uh, to float that at a time when you know, the, um, the Insurance Institute has uh, lost money for the first time in a few years and, and you know, the um, there's a feeling that there's a general need for cost saving, uh, but where those cost savings would come from is not entirely clear. Uh, the PFS board is voluntary. Presumably, there would still need to be uh, man hours, uh, person hours uh, for um, uh, for people running PFS events, running mm -hmm. PFS communications. I can't see that that would lead to cost savings. And in fact, um, structurally there are a number of employees who work on behalf of the PFS who are CI employees as well. Um, so I can't see a cost saving there. Um, okay, so there's one less set of accounts to produce each year, but, I mean, are we saying that it is worth this process, this hassle, this trouble to save the cost of an accountant once a year? An accountant and an auditor, yeah. Yeah, it just strikes me as being a, a bit of a weak set of reasoning, really. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll get into some of the, the financials again in a bit because um, there's some interesting stuff in there as well. But uh, of, of course, only a few short weeks ago, the PFS board voted down deregistration um, to the reef, relief of many PFS members. But as far as I can tell in reality, the CII can press ahead with the move without PFS board approval if it really wants to. Um, and there are whispers that it may tra uh, try again rather. Um, in the coming months or even maybe next year. What is the next steps for PFS members concerned about deregistration if they do try again? Yeah, that, that that's another good question. I think my, and again, not a constitutional expert, very much a layperson, uh, but my take on it is that there are two issues. Is it is it legally and structurally possible? Hmm. And is it politically possible, if you like? Um, I think... 
that there needs to be a lot of work done behind the scenes for the executive of the CII to make it politically possible, um, you know, if they want to continue pursuing this route. And I think it's very dangerous of them for them if they decide to press ahead because they consider it to be legally or structurally possible. Uh, in terms of what the next um, what the next steps are, it, it's very hard at this stage to see uh, what an outcome is going to look like because we don't have all of the information. Mm. Uh, a good example is um, convention at an AGM is that when votes are called, uh, vote responses are given, and the count of the of the eyes and the nays are given as part of that um, that AGM announcement. Um, that wasn't done at this AGM. And, and to be fair, there was prior form. Mm. Uh, last year, there was no count given on any of the votes. Um, I believe there's an open letter actually going going out to the CII shortly from a number of signatories uh, to ask them to publish those. Um, I, I noticed that the AGM minutes last year did, did point that out that those vote counts would be published um, on the website. Mm. Um, and I'm sure they did that. I haven't been able to find those counts on the website yet. But, no, nor I actually. Uh, but but I'm sure you know they said they'd do it in the AGM minutes, and I'm sure they mm. did. Um, and I'm sure we'll get some clarity on that uh, one day shortly. Uh, so um, it would be interesting to understand quite how much the needle was moved by the plea from a number of very concerned volunteers, ex-presidents. Um, you know, people who have de devoted large swathes of their lives to the forwarding and the progression of what is a fantastic profession um, uh, to see if that did make an impact. Mm. Um, there is a numbers issue around a CII AGM. Uh, the entire PFS membership is about a third of the CII membership as a whole. Uh, it is, um, yes. And there were some pointed statements made in the AGM about the uh, votes being open to the entire entire membership. Um, so, uh, you know, but as I say, I, I would I'd be really interested, and I think there's a there's a governance and transparency argument for us to see that. Longer term, I think it, it is incredibly important for us as professionals, for us to be seen as professionals, and mm. for us to have a professional body that treats us as professionals. Uh, and I think that that requires an independent professional body of some sort and i would go further and say that in the long term i think a separated professional body from any examining body is part of being taken seriously as a profession uh, i think if you look at the structure of organizations uh, as the professional bodies for um, accountants or solicitors you see this structure repeated over and over you know you have a standards setting professional body you have uh, education providers that provide education to the level to meet those standards you may have separate membership bodies that support the profession as a whole and you have this um this kind of uh, i would describe it as a sort of a hub and a spoke type arrangement um that you know that can do things like hold people to account for their behaviour. I mean, I think mm. NMA did a recent expose on some behaviour of people who were carrying the Charter Financial Planner mm. title, for example. It's very hard to hold those to account when you're the professional body that is responsible for the education that leads to those qualifications, the regular payments for those qualifications. 
it leaves you in a in a compromised position to do things like hold professionals to account for their professional standards. Very much so. In, well, membership and qualifications for that is a you know, huge money spinner for both the PFS and and CII. And I think there's two firms you mentioned. Um, gave said advice i think it was in 2017 18 they were still on the cii chartered uh register as of january and april respectively this year so it does kind of feel like a conflict of interest doesn't it yeah i think so and i think you know there there are um there are clearly efficiencies in having this sort of vertically integrated structure and if you look at the history of the cii and and the sort of the insurance industry and the insurance sector and how it's come about, uh, that then it sort of makes sense. Um, but I think the financial planning sector um, uh, or the financial planning profession is at a point where we consider ourselves to be a professional profession. Hmm. We need to start behaving structurally like one. Uh, and so I think an independent professional body is an important part of that. Well, when you say that too, you know, the CII's, their main focus is not on financial planners. It is on, you know, insurers and as, as much as they do talk about um, you know being one whole society one of the, the magic parts of the PFS is that it is independent and can make its own calls so is the only just to reiterate you know the only logical move here over the coming years is to make the PFS or something similar you know to break that away or to start again really to make an independent body for financial planners I think there needs to be sufficient independence that, that, that that's a possibility for and sure. When you talk about independence too, I mean, we were also reported the other month that, and this goes back to your point about financials, that you know the CIO hasn't had a, a terribly good year. And when we dug into their accounts, we found that the CIO is holding, um, I think it's a tick over 14 million in PFS membership money in its coffers, uh, which is using to bulk up its cash reserves. I think it makes up about 45% of its total cash reserves, which it's highlighted to its own accounts which has been audited um, by BDO, its independent orders for many years. Um, you know, if deregistration is rushed through at a later stage and the PFS doesn't break away or another body isn't you know, kind of broken off from it, you know, is this concerning that the CIO has so much power over PFS membership money that by the looks of it isn't actually being spent on its members? I think a cynic could be forgiven for looking at that series of events and drawing conclusions about the... Uh, causality and the direction of travel. No, fair enough, fair enough. Um, and just move on to the next point as well. When we're talking about um, those motions that were brought up at the AGM and when you said the votes, the uh, eyes and eights weren't um, you know, broadcast at the time, I've heard that as well. In terms of proposals, you know, the proposals that were supposed to be brought up, you know, motions were the two groups, your PFS and PFS solo were asking to you know vote down certain proposals, as well as bringing in, um, I think Robin Melly, who is the Chartered Financial Planner of the Year for the PFS, was asking to bring an independent auditor to look at the CII's manifesto and accounts for this year, um, and indeed to bring a no confidence motion in the CII CEO Sean Fisher. Um, now the CII Chair Helen Phillips did not let that go to vote at the AGM and said it would be go to members shortly um, if I recall that correctly what do you make of that move it wasn't it was briefly discussed and I think there was a comment of you know I wish PFS members would you know talk about this 
in-house or as a family or something like that instead of you know going to the press um or speaking you know outside of outside of school what did you make of those motions not going to to a vote essentially at the agm that that is a yeah that was an interesting moment uh when the independent chair of the uh membership and professional body which is of course held accountable by its royal charter um felt that there wasn't sufficient member interest to uh float those questions properly uh i don't know if you if you watched the agm but but i just couldn't help get a feeling of there of there being a developing kind of us and them mm. um a sort of mindset where us included the independent chair of the board um, for um, for accountability, uh, you know, and and them was the troublesome, uh, you know, awkward stepchild who were uh, you know who were just trying to cause trouble. Whereas of course, actually, what members want, PFS members want, is accountability, mm. and transparency, uh, and the person who uh, is intended to deliver that um, hasn't hasn't done so. Um, I I wanted to, I wanted to. I, you mentioned this issue of of, of speaking to the press, uh, that was mentioned by the CEO at the uh, conference call uh, that I was at. Um, I'm sure that went down well. Uh, well, uh, I, I pointed out to them that uh, they wouldn't have found the time to have the conference call had that not been the case, mm. um, because in fact before there was uh, any press involvement what there had been was a number of PR responses to the small groups of people that, had, that asked the questions. Um, you know, there had been complaints made to the independent chair um, of the board and a response that looked to have been written by a PR department had been um, sent back. So, you know, when you're not getting independence or accountability from the place that you're supposed to ask for it from, you know, where where else do you go? <laughs> and clearly, bad press appears to be a better driver for change, um, you know, than the constitutional processes that are supposed to be in place to allow us to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, again, um, as you mentioned, and, you know, this isn't like tooting NMA's own horn here, but prior to late April, I think the May weekends, when the first story came out about you know, Keith Richards' deregistration, et cetera, et cetera, I said only a few small you know, splinter groups actually knew about this, senior PFS members. Um, it's not exactly transparency, is it? No, exactly. And, and, and you know, what you have is uh, a long-standing um, sort of constitutional approach, which I just I don't think is being necessarily respected by the current stewards of these organisations. And that's the challenge. You know, you have sets of conflicting interests and i'm a i'm a big believer uh in in occam's razor generally you know i try not to assume there's malice where there are other explanations to give mm-hmm. and, and i don't think there's any malice here um and and ultimately everybody is the hero of their own story um you know famously al capone considering considered himself to be a community-minded man who um you know who would always uh, look after the elderly in his neighborhood and that was that was kind of his you know his 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 commentary on himself, uh, not comparing anybody to Al Capone, um, but just to to illustrate a point, um, and uh, and so I'm sure there are good intentions behind what is happening. Mm. The challenge is, I think those good intentions are born from a misunderstanding, and I think that's a misunderstanding of our 
profession. I think it's a misunderstanding of our professional body. I was left strongly believing that the CEO didn't understand either of those things after mm. a conference call that, that I was invited to. And once you realise that the people in charge of the parent organisation don't actually understand anything about your profession or your professional body, the behaviour and the decisions made start to make a lot more sense. Mm. Because there was a genuine uh, response of confusion I think confusion is the right word, or surprise, because PFS members are all CII members. Yeah. So so why is there an us and them? You're, you're all just CII members. You know, PFS employees are all just CII employees. So why why do you think why do you think there's any difference? And you think, well, there's difference because we we're an independent professional body within you know within the larger um, within the larger holding uh, sort of space. Uh, there's difference because we do a completely different job. We charge differently, we structure differently, we consider ourselves to be a profession, whereas insurance considers itself to be an industry, uh, and, and so on. Um, but actually, that was that was enlightening for me in the sense that I realised, okay, now I start to understand a little bit more about why these things are happening. Uh, because if you don't think there is any difference, why would it be a problem just to fold this little concern um, you know, that we're not too worried about, that, that's basically just the same as we're, what we're doing anyway, into the bigger, into the bigger picture? Mm-hmm. No, well said, well said. And in terms of, we talked about uh, the independent chair of the CII as well and those motions. I mean, at the time, or watching back um, the AGM, it was, I think they'll put it to members, you know, shortly, was you know, shortly was the word. Um, I've since gone to the CII and asked, and now they will go to, so they said the society's board would broach the subject at virtual local institute and regional committee meetings. Um, at undisclosed dates moving forward. Um, now, they can't give any time on that or time frame or how many people they will speak to or whether they'll be you know, PFS members or indeed you know, your PFS or PFS solo uh, members that have um, you know, really up in arms about this and have actually written to the CII. So there's a bit more confusion there. What do you want to see from the CII moving forward on this? You know, what, do they, what do you want them to do? So I think there needs to be direct engagement with stakeholders uh, and then and there needs to be an understanding that nobody is, um, you know, nobody is doing this for fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, no, no, nobody's sitting here going, oh, this would be a, this would be a fun thing to do. Let's, yeah, let's go and cause some trouble for, yeah, for an executive yeah. of a professional body. You know, we're doing this because we're all deeply passionate about the future of the profession that we volunteer you know, I, I keep saying this, but collectively thousands upon thousands of hours. The, the PFS is a successful professional body on the back of its volunteer force. The CII is a successful professional body on the back of its local institutes, who again are a volunteer force. Both of those groups of people are currently being ignored and are currently being um, sort of downplayed in terms of their importance to the, um, really to the business, to the core mm-hmm. business of the CII. Um, you know, there needs to be a commercial business as part of the professional body. Does it need to be the same part exactly? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, again, not a constitutional expert, but um, what they need to do is start engaging uh, in good faith because what I haven't seen is any engagement in good faith so far. Um, I've seen a lot of PR uh, and I've seen, uh, I've seen a lot of what I would refer to um, politely as a pretty Patel apology. You know, I'm really sorry that you got upset. 
Um, and I'm afraid it, that just doesn't cut it. Um, I'd like to see the motions that were raised at the AGM under the constitutional um, process that the AGM holds. I'd like to see those put out to the entire member base. Um, I don't know if this is true, it's only hearsay, but I understood the constitution required them to do so to the entire member base within 28 hmm. days uh, of the AGM or call an extraordinary general meeting if that wasn't done. So, um, you know, there will be some constitutional pressure on them to do that. Uh, and I think we need to understand, you know, what what, what is the aim? Uh, I, I was at the, uh, the network conference, which is the CII's uh, National uh, Local Institute member uh, conference. So I joined the local institute in Leicester and uh, I joined really to advocate for more PFS events, for more PFS funding. I got sent along to the 2017 uh, member conference, uh, network conference and at that point they unveiled the five-year manifesto mm. uh, that the current CEO held for the, for the um, CII. And I think there needs to be a serious investigation as to whether, one, that manifesto uh, the manifesto aims have been met. Uh, two, uh, if they've been done so at a cost which is reasonable, because ultimately it's the members that foot the bill. Um, and, and three, whether the model to try and move the insurance side of um, the uh, CII towards a society's model, which you know brings the PFS in line with the Society for Brokers and the Society for um, uh, loss adjusters and you know the various other general insurance societies you know whether that is something that has been done um ultimately for the benefit of members and for all members so well, i think there needs to be oh sorry go on no no you go on Alistair. i was gonna say so I, I think there needs to be um some serious answers to what have been serious questions posed to the cii and i haven't seen serious answers i've seen uh public relations responses and you said that when was the AGM last Wednesday? So, in theory, yeah, they've only got best part of three weeks left to really go to members about these concerns. Are you confident they will? I mean, there is, as you said, there is constitutional pressure on them, and you know, PFS member pressure. I mean, it's not going to go away anytime soon. Um, what do you think the uh, the end game is here? What's the next play? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, if they feel that their best route towards meeting their constitutional requirements is to go via local institutes and via the, the regional forums, um, that, well, you know, I, I hope that they're doing that with their um, sort of legal requirements in mind. As I say, not a lawyer, um, but I'm sure there will be people who know lawyers who are looking into that as to whether yeah. that's the case. And as you say, you know, you said earlier, um, there's big money involved. You know, there, there, there are there are millions of pounds of members, membership dues, which are paid to a non-profit organisation for the benefit of members and for the benefit of the public. Mm. And and in order to support the Royal Charter that underpins it. And the question is, what you know, what is happening there? What is the governance of, of, of that? Um, and those are questions that we just don't have answers to. Mm. And so for all the questions, you know, the issues of oh well, if only the press weren't airing the dirty laundry, you know, that's happening because that there, there isn't accountability through the proper channels. And finally, Keith Richards is gone. Um, there will be no CEO of the PFS moving forward. Um, they're currently hiring for a chief membership officer of the CII, so the entire society, not just the PFS. What do you make of that move? 
I think it's um, I think it's going to represent a big loss uh, to the professional body. I think it's going to represent a big loss to the uh, power that the professional body has to do things like build public trust, which of course is in their um, uh, you know in their set of, of sort of overarching goals and principles. Uh, I think having uh, a, a, a head of an organisation which is responsible for the financial futures of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in the UK, is a key part of that. Um, and I think it's a mistake. Uh, and I think it will weaken not just the um, not just the PFS, but it will weaken the CII as well. I think it is a, it is a, a poorly thought out decision. Well, Alistair Walker, thank you very much for joining us today and thanks for the chat.